If I could show you a picture right now of young Kayla Mueller, I can almost guarantee you that it would bring a smile to your face. Kayla, a graduate of Northern Arizona University, is a Christian. Not only so, but she has lived out her faith at such a young age as a powerful advocate for those in our world that are suffering. Upon graduating from the university, Kayla signed up for a missionary stint in southern Turkey. She, along with a group of advocates, would spend their days serving the needs of Syrian refugees fleeing the civil war that's going on in their country. The year was 2015. Through letters that Kayla sent back home to her parents, you, you get a glimpse of someone who was, I'm just going to use the word, selfless. Her closest friends described her this way. Kayla is someone committed to doing anything that she can to change the world for the better. And she did that all the way up to the moment that she was abducted by the terrorist group ISIS. The abduction occurred during a jaunt into a Syrian hospital accompanying a group of doctors representing the humanitarian group Doctors Without Borders. Now, at first, Kayla found herself imprisoned. That's what they did with her. She was together with a group of the Christians. They prayed, they shared their story together, and they shared the same fate. Her days were spent praying for release, praying for help, praying that somehow this nightmare that she was now living in would come to an end. It did not. In fact, things became even darker for Kayla. Because of her looks and pale skin, Kayla caught the eye of ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who had to have her as his trophy, as his so-called wife. Calling her into his room, Baghdadi showed Kayla pictures of Christians that he had personally beheaded. Convert to Islam, become my fourth wife, or I will personally behead you, Baghdadi told Kayla. And then without warning, he raped her for the first time. There would be others. With each rape, a part of Kayla died. Following, her friends say she would often curl up in a ball and weep, telling her missionary and captive friends, I don't know what to do. Still, through it all, Kayla kept her faith. She kept it until the bitter end. When Baghdadi, afraid of the growing pressures being placed upon ISIS, killed her and burned her body, leaving for her parents only her old letters of hope, which had been smuggled out of the prison in which she lived and delivered back to them in America. In many ways, Kayla has come to represent the face of what it means to live one's faith until the bitter end. In another way, Kayla represents something deeper. She represents what it means to be at war spiritually. She represents a little part of what I call the Great War. In this episode of God's Size Living, I want to take a step forward into chapter 10 of the book of Daniel. And as we do, I want to enter into a privileged look into what it means for you and me to be a people who are engaged in a war that's been going on for centuries, a spiritual war, not only for souls, speaking objectively, but for our very own souls, speaking quite subjectively. Today is my hope to answer a question. 
what, what does it mean? For the great war, the war that's been fought in the heavens to become, in a very personal way, my war. How is the war playing itself out in my life today? Oh, and how far would I be willing to go in this war to stand for my faith? Would I be able to endure, as Kayla did, should my faith be put to test? Today, let's look at what it means for the great war to become my war. Now, as we do that and get ready to dig into this topic, I'm going to tell you that one of the books that inspired me to think about what's going on in the 10th chapter of Daniel is an admittedly older book. The book was written in the year 2000, but that continues to have relevance, I, I believe, to this day. The title of the book, maybe you'll recognize it as, quote, She Said Yes, end quote, written by Misty Bernal. If that name sounds familiar to you, there's probably a reason. Misty is the mother of 17-year-old Cassie, one of the victims of the horrific school shootings that took place in Columbine, Colorado. Now, here's why I say that book is relevant to this very day. In just a few days, the year 2022 will come to an end. Think about this. We're 23 years removed from the school shooting in Columbine. Now, if you were alive when this shooting took place, you recognize just how just how absolutely shocking it, it was for all of us the day we turned on the television and, and watched in horror as this shooting unfolded. Now, all those school shootings were not a complete anomaly. Uh, they, they were still rare 23 years ago. Not so today. In fact, question for you. As 2022 comes to a close, do you know how many school shootings have taken place in the last 365 days? I, th I think you'll actually be stunned when you hear this number. You know what it is? A as of October, by the way, it's now December, there have been 611 mass shooting events across our country. That's almost two a day. And the number of school shootings, again, as of October, there have been an all-time record of 35. That's getting close to one for every week of the year. Now, I don't know about you, but that's mind-blowing for me, as is Cassie's story from Columbine. Maybe you remember her. In the book written by her mother, Cassie's life is spelled out in an authentic way. Was she an angel as a child growing up, and particularly a teen? No, she was not. In fact, for a significant period of time, Cassie ran with a group of teens that could hardly be called nice, much less Christian. But when Jesus came calling for Cassie, everything in her life changed significantly. She lived her Christianity all out, which is perhaps the very reason that the two gunmen at the high school on that day called her out. I want to tell you that I've played this scenario out in my mind. Maybe you have too. Hundreds of times. Every single time I play it, I shudder. According to eyewitness testimony, Cassie, as the other students in her classroom, was hiding under a desk after hearing gunfire. As the gunman entered the room she was in, it's hard to imagine the thoughts running through each of the students' minds. The gunman did not shoot every student, but in a calculated way, it does seem that they identified a number of targets before beginning their rampage. Cassie, it seems, might have been one of them. While we cannot know this, we do know that when they found her huddled under her desk, they had a question for her. The simple question, are you 
a Christian. Now freeze that frame for a minute. Place yourself under that desk. Are you a Christian? You know that there's a purpose in that question. You also know that there's a purpose in response. So, so let me ask you this. If that were you under the desk, how would you answer? Most of us would probably have to answer today with a simple, I, I don't know. You know why? Because we don't know. We really cannot know how we would answer under the circumstance. True, everything within us wants to believe that we would boldly testify to our faith. But would we? While we cannot know this, we, we do know that Cassie did. She didn't hesitate. She didn't shrink back. She simply stated, yes. Little did she know that the last words out of her mouth on planet Earth would be a testimony to her faith. And without question, the first words that she would hear in heaven would belong to Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. So let me just pause here for a second and ask, what might be at this point in our podcast an obvious question? I've now given you two examples of individuals whose faith was put to the ultimate test. First, Kayla Mueller and then Cassie Bernal. Both of these young ladies were Christians. Both were living life all out for Jesus Christ. So my question is why? Why would God, why would Jesus allow two people who were young, full of life, full of service to others to come under the horrible circumstances that would lead to both of their desks. I have to tell you, from a worldly perspective, it does not make sense, not, not at all. That is, until you understand the nature of what I like to call the Great War. Come back with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. As we enter this chapter, Daniel's narrative is made up of the last of the visions that God will give to him. This section will take us to his impending death. Now, what makes this vision different than the visions that have occurred throughout the book of Daniel is the perspective from which it is given, as much as the giver of the vision himself. Now, as the vision begins, we're told that we're in the third year of the reign of King Cyrus, the Medo-Persian king, who's overthrown Babylon. The year is 536, and the month is April. Under the edict of Cyrus, Nehemiah will return to Jer Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the great walls of the city, even as Ezra has returned to rebuild the temple, the temple that Babylon's armies had left in ruin. Now, from all outward perspectives, this should be a joyous time in the life of the church, Israel. And it was, but never lose sight of this, that when God is on the move, hell notices and responds. Why? Because there's a war going on. And it has been for a long time. A war for souls. You know, I was reminded of this in a physical way just recently. Uh, as this podcast is being taped, there's a war going on in the Ukraine. Russia has usurped its rightful place and has become an aggressor, seeking to take from the Ukraine land that it has no right to. Interestingly, in this battle, one of the first targets that Russia took for itself is a little island in the Black Sea called Snake Island. The island is actually famous for its dense population of snakes. Regardless of its reptile residence, it's always been stated that whoever controls Snake Island controls the Black Sea, a sea that provides tactical advantage to its owner in time of war. Now, here's what I find interesting. 
While Russian troops captured Snake Island early in its offensive, the Ukrainians have fought back. They've recaptured this vital position. That said, the Russians are watching. All Ukrainian troops on Snake Island are under strict order to maintain radio and phone silence. And here's why. Russian troops have trained satellites on the island that are listening and watching for, for just a signal to go off on a radio, a signal to go off on a phone that gives them a location toward which to launch a missile or a bomb. As long as the Ukrainians practice caution, they're safe. But give Russia a target and it will blow you up. Now, here is the point of my comparison. It's 536 BC and for the last 70 years, Jerusalem has been silent. No movement. When, however, Cyrus makes his edict in 538 BC, movement begins to happen. God is on the move, and hell notices and attacks. And guess what? In our, our next episode, I, I will get into the vision that Jesus brings to Daniel, depicting the offensive that Satan will launch. But today, I want to provide some context and some perspective. So it's important to understand as we enter chapter 10 of Daniel's great book, there's a reality present that any time a person, any time you or I are moved by the Spirit of God to commit ourselves all out to following Jesus, look out. Hell will notice and respond. This was true for Caleb Mueller. This was true for Cassie Bernal. And it is true for each one of us as well. It's all part of what I again call the Great War. So, so what do I mean by the term, the Great War? When you read your Bible, you quickly become aware of the presence of God in creation and his good desire for his creation. That's how the Bible opens in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But it doesn't take long before we recognize that in the midst of God's good creation, there's an enemy at work, one who hates God and hates his good creation, namely the fallen angel, Lucifer the accuser, the adversary, the liar, the lord of the dunghill, Satan. He appears suddenly in Genesis 3. He's present to tempt both Adam and Eve. But where did he come from? It's interesting that while the first book of the Bible tells the story of creation, God's good intent for his creation, it's actually the last book of the Bible that fully answers the question of where Satan, this adversary, has come from. Talking about the book of Revelation, where in chapter 12, we're introduced to what I call the Great War. Perhaps you remember the vision given to John on the island of Patmos regarding the Great War. I'm going to read just a little bit of it for you. You'll find these words recorded in Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. And Lord, we come before you today and we just ask for your wisdom and insight as you give us these words. Revelation 12, quote, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, but they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. The great war. End quote. And here we get the answer to the question, where did Satan come from? He came from heaven itself, where he was created to be a ministering angel, one that would serve the Lord in his creation, but instead rebelled. It's not accidental then that we find him in the garden at a time when Adam and Eve 
were learning what it means to place their whole lives into God's care, to trust his every word, to steward his creation, to walk with him quite literally as they did. And it's not accidental to discover that anytime you or I make a commitment in our lives to follow Jesus, not, not superficially, not rotely, but with the whole of our being, the great battle will become our battle, sometimes testing our faith to its very core. Over the next couple of podcasts, we'll watch as the great war is described through the vision of Daniel. But for today, I want to leave you with several questions. Question one, have there been times in your life when you become significantly aware of the presence of your spiritual enemy in more than a superficial way. Now here, here's what I mean by that. I think we're always aware of the fact that God's enemy is at work in our world. In fact, it's impossible to miss. We, we can't talk about 611 mass shooting events happening in this country without recognizing the presence of hell. We see his fingerprints. And when we see them, we're not surprised. But what I'm asking you to think about are those times when the great war has become your war. When you found yourself noticing the presence, maybe of issues or roadblocks or painful episodes, to a degree that you just know something's not right. And I want you to think about those times when this has been true for you. Question two, have you ever noticed how often these times are tied to some decision that the Holy Spirit's led you to, or some commitment, or some change that he's called you to, and you've said it's time. I'm leaving yesterday behind. I'm going to become a new person in the Lord. And then, boom, something happens that will test that commandment, that commitment to its end. I have to tell you this story because it stayed with me for such a long time. It's, it's actually a story about a young man who was part of a congregation I served in Lincoln, Nebraska. He's a man I had the privilege of watching grow through our men's ministry during the years of Promise Keepers. And I, I really got to watch a lot of guys grow from superficially talking about leading their families spiritually to actually making hard decisions and to actually doing so. One of the things I, I believe served so well in those years were these small study groups where, where men would would come together and begin to read the Bible and, and talk to one another about what it meant for their lives. Uh, this man was one that I watched. And I'll, I'll never forget one of his toughest decisions. We were talking about tithing. Tithing's hard for, for so many men. You know why? Because initially, men tend to see tithing as the church asking for money. In reality, while tithing involves our money, it isn't about money. It's about faith, about trusting God. This young man, after a Sunday morning, told his wife, I want to do this. And you know what? She surprised him. She said, you don't know how long I've been praying for this day. Well, I'm going to make a long story short. The young man did it. They, they started to tithe. And about two weeks later, he came back and he said, you know what? We made the decision to tithe just two Sundays ago. On this Monday, I was let go from my job. I'm telling you that story because it's not random. In fact, I believe when, when you and I examine our lives, we discover a correlation between these kinds of decisions, the decisions that we make to live out our faith and the tests that will follow. In no way do I believe they're random or coincidental. In fact, I believe that we should expect them. There are times when the great war becomes our war in a very personal way. 
Which leads me to the last question that I want to ask today. Question three, are you going through one of these times right now? And this is Christmas time. Generally and culturally, we associate the month that we're in with happiness and up feelings. But what I want to recognize are the significant number of people, at least in my life and ministry, who are right now going through intense times where their faith is come under fire. If that's you, I want you to know something. In the book of Daniel, God is coming to him for a reason. What he wants Daniel to know is what I want you to hear as we close today. Jesus comes to Daniel in a vision precisely because a difficult period for Israel is coming. What he wants Daniel to do is something that he's always done. He wants him to become his voice in what will paradoxically be a difficult time for Israel. A voice that would announce God's presence in the midst of testing. If you're undergoing a time of testing right now in this Christmas season, I really want to be that voice for you. I want you to know this, that as real as testing is, so are his promises. I'm talking about the promises of the one who has won. The one who has overcome. The one who has won the great war and who is able to bring hope into the one that you're experiencing right now. That's it for today. We're, we'll be off for a couple of weeks as we celebrate Christmas and the New Year's and then back the second week of the New Year with new content. Um, I'm going to be praying for you, and I ask you to pray for me during this, this period of the year. And until the New Year, I wish you a God-sized Christmas. Mm-hmm.